We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the second piece in Hilchos Yisurei Mizbeach. This is Parak Hey Halacha Zayin. And the issue Rab Chaim is discussing is if someone steals an animal and uses it for a carbon. And this piece is a little bit more technical than usual because he's trying to explain how the Rambam's rulings fit in with the Gemara's discussion. The Rambam writes, If somebody steals an animal and then brings it as a sacrifice, the sacrifice is invalid because you can't use a stolen animal. But if the owners gave up hope, which is called in Halacha Yush, and this is a very important moment because in Halacha, that's when ownership transfers to the thief. So if the owners of the animal already gave up hope, then ha-karban kasher, it's a valid karban. Even if it's the type of sacrifice where the kohanim are going to be eating its meat, since the thief now actually owns the animal, it's a valid sacrifice. But now the Rambam qualifies this. There's a special institution the rabbis made that if this is a known animal which was stolen, so it's publicly known that this animal was stolen, so then the rabbis said that this is an invalid chatas, even if the owners already did yush, so there's no actual problem of ownership on the thief's part, but since it's known that he stole the animal, it's invalid. Because we don't want people to say that the altar takes stolen animals. It looks very bad for the Beis HaMikdash that people are stealing animals and bringing them as sacrifices. And the same is true of the Ola. So basically, if an animal is known publicly to have been stolen, then it does not work as a carbon, even if the the owners already did yush, so it belongs to the thief. But other than that, if the animal is not known to be stolen, so then if the owners did yush, then it works as a carbon. But if it's before yush, so then it's an invalid carbon because the thief doesn't own it. Now, the source for this whole halacha is in the Gemara in Gittin Daf Nun Hey. The Mishnah says that a chatas hagzula shlo nodala rabim, a stolen chatas which is not publicly known, so that works mipnei tikun hamizbeach, because of the good of the mizbeach. So now what this means is the subject of a debate in the Gemara. There's two approaches to understanding this Mishnah. Ula says that Mida Oraisa, according to Torah law, in all cases, whether the animal is known to be stolen or not, it's an invalid sacrifice because he disagrees with the point that Yush alone creates the transfer of ownership. So according to Ula, there's a fundamental problem with this sacrifice that the thief doesn't actually own it because he acquired it through Yush and that doesn't work according to Ula. So under no circumstances should this animal be a valid carbon, but the rabbi stepped in and said that if it's not known that this animal was stolen, then it is a valid carbon so that the Kohanim shouldn't lose out from the meat that they're supposed to get. So the Tikkun HaMizbeach, the good of the Mizbeach that the Mishnah referred to, is the Kohanim getting the meat that they're expecting. Now, Rabbi Yehuda has a totally different way to read this Mishnah. He holds that Mido Raisa, according to the Torah, in all cases, it is a valid carbon, even if it's known to have been stolen. It doesn't matter whether the public knows that it's stolen. In all cases, it is a valid carbon because he holds that Yish alone does affect a transfer of ownership. So the thief now owns the animal, so he can bring it as a carbon. But the rabbi stepped in and said that if this animal is known to be stolen, then 
then it's invalid as a carbon because we don't want people saying that the altar takes stolen animals. So the good of the Mizbeach and the Mishnah is the reputation of the Mizbeach. We don't want it sullied with stolen animals. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, theoretically, any animal after Yish is valid as a carbon because he holds that Yish affects a transfer of ownership. Now, the Rambam very clearly rules like Rabbi Yehuda because he says that in general, the animal could be brought as a sacrifice after Yish, but if it's known that it was stolen, then it's invalid because of the special decree that we don't want people saying the altar takes stolen animals. So that's the view of Rabbi Yehuda. But the problem is that the Rambam in Hilchus Gneba, Perak Aleph, Halach Yudbeis, and Halach Zayin, there he says explicitly that Yish does not transfer ownership. So that's like Ula. So how can the Rambam rule practically like Rabbi Yehuda when it comes to the case of the Karban, when the whole issue hinges on whether Yish transfers the ownership? And with regards to that core question, the Rambam rules like Ula that it does not. So how does he go ahead in this case and record the halacha of Rabbi Yehuda? And this question, the Kasef Mishnah and other commentators already ask. So now the same problem appears elsewhere in the Rambam too. In Hilchus Masak, Arbonus Perak Yudches Halacha Yudalid, the Rambam writes, Gana If somebody steals an animal and then they make it a carbon and then they shecht it outside the Beis Hamikdash. So they get the punishment which one would get for sacrificing a carbon outside the base on Mikdash, which is kares, their soul is cut off. So the Rambam wonders, when does the punishment of kares begin in this case? So he answers, as soon as he sanctifies it, but the Rambam writes the limitation, but it has to be after the owner's yiush, before the owners gave up hope, before yiush, then it does not become sanctified because the thief doesn't own it. So again, here the Rambam pinpoints the key moment as yiush, that if the owners gave up hope and then the thief sanctifies it, at that point it gets all of the rules of a regular carbon. And again, this halacha comes from the Gemara in Gein, which quotes that Rava asked from a Brisa, which says, Let's say he stole the animal, and then he makes it a carbon, and then he slaughters it. So the punishment that he gets is based on the moment of stealing, so he has to pay double, but he doesn't pay four or five times, which is the punishment based on the moment of killing the animal. In this case, he doesn't have to pay the four or five times because when he killed it, it was already hectish and a hectish animal, he doesn't have to pay the double or the four or five times. So you see that the Gemara is treating this animal like it's fully hectish and that's why he doesn't pay the fine from when he killed it because at that moment, it's considered a full carbon. So the Gemara adds, There's another brisa that adds to this that if he slaughtered the animal outside the Beis HaMikdash, then he gets the punishment of kares, again, because this animal is considered a full carbon. So Rava's question is on Ula, who holds that the animal is not a real carbon, only the rabbis made it a carbon so the Kohanim could eat the meat, but in general, Yish does not change the ownership, so this animal never became a real carbon. So Rava wants to know, why is there a punishment of kares in that case? That seems to support Rabbi Yehuda, 
Yehuda's view that Yush does change the ownership and therefore the thief made a real carbon out of this animal. So the Gemara answers that Rav Shizvi said that it's a kares midra banan, meaning the rabbis gave him kares. But Rava explains that what he really means is that the rabbis said that this animal belongs to the thief in order for him to get kares. In other words, the kares is not rabbinic. The kares is deoraisa because the rabbis transferred ownership of the animal to the thief so that his hektish would be a full hektish. The animal's a carbon, and if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he'll get full regular kares. So then Rava wonders, when did the rabbis transfer ownership? As soon as he steals it or when he makes it into a carbon. The practical difference would be who owns the shearings and the animals who are born between the period when he stole it and he made it hectish. Does it belong to the owners or the thief? So Rava says probably the rabbis transferred ownership later in the process, meaning when he sanctified it, when he made it hekdish, not when he stole it, because they don't want this thief to gain anything extra. So that's Rava's conclusion in the Gemara that the rabbis transferred ownership to the thief when he makes it into a carbon in order for him to get the maximum punishment. So that's exactly what the Rambam records in his halacha, that if it's after the owner's yush, they gave up hope, and the thief makes it hekdish at that moment it becomes his, so the animal is now a full carbon, and if he slaughters it outside the Beis Mikdash, he gets the maximum punishment of kares. So the Rambam faithfully records Rava's whole discussion of that brisa. But again, says Rab Chaim, we have the same problem. The whole discussion in the Gemara there is only according to Ula. According to Rabbi Yehuda, you don't need to say any of this, that the rabbis transferred ownership. Because it's a Torah law that Yush transferred the ownership, so when the thief made it a carbon, it's now a full carbon and he gets kares. The whole explanation of the Gemara is only in Ula. So why does the Rambam, who rules like Rabbi Yehuda, that it's a full carbon under Torah law, why does he now quote the explanation of Ula that if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he gets punished because the rabbis transferred ownership when you don't need to say that according to the Rambam. So again, in two places, the Rambam seems to contradict his halacha in Hilchisurim Mizbeach, where he rules like Rabbi Yehuda, but elsewhere he seems to be holding like Ula. So to answer these questions, Rab Chaim says something very creative, which is a very nice thought experiment. He points out that according to the Rambam, there is a case where the sacrifice itself is invalid, but still if the person sacrifices that animal outside the Beis HaMikdash, they get punished with kares. Even though if they did it inside the Beis HaMikdash, it's an invalid carbon. And that's the case where the animal is known to have been stolen. So as the Rambam said, quoting Rabbi Yehuda in the Gemara, the animal is invalid as a carbon because we don't want to sully the reputation of the Mizbeach. But still, if that animal is slaughtered outside the Beis HaMikdash, the person gets kares because the Rambam never limited that punishment only to animals which are not known to be stolen. So it sounds like even if it's a known stolen animal, if the person slaughters it outside, they still get kares. And Rab Chaim says that that actually emerges straight from the Gemara because the Gemara asks on Ula, why should the person get kares for slaughtering this animal outside the Beis HaMikdash when the whole validation of the carbon is only from the rabbis? But says Rab Chaim, even though the rabbis are the ones that validated the carbon, it's obvious that this carbon works under Torah law too. Otherwise, you can't bring an animal into the Beis HaMikdash and sacrifice it and do all the carbonate work if it's not a Torah carbon. 
And furthermore, you have people who are going to become tahor, pure, using this carbon, and then they're going to be walking into the Beis HaMikdash. So if this was under Torah law, not a carbon, then that's a major problem for them to now be walking into the Beis HaMikdash. So it's very clear that even though Ula says that the rabbis validated this carbon, once they validated, it's now fully a carbon under Torah law, and it fulfills any requirements that he needs a carbon for. So if so, what is the Gemara's question? Why does he get punished for slaughtering this outside the Beis HaMikdash? Because it was validated by the rabbis. As we just said, after the rabbis validated this carbon, it's now fully a carbon. So of course he should get kares if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash. So says Rab Chaim very brilliantly, it must be that the Gemara's question is on the case where the animal is known to have been stolen. So there the carbon is not valid, but still if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he gets kares. So that's where the Gemara is asking, why should he get kares when this is not a carbon? at all, not according to Torah law and not even under rabbinic law. The only time the rabbi said that it's a good carbon is when it's not known that it was stolen. So that case is obvious that of course if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash he gets kares because as we said that's fully 100% a carbon. So there would be no reason to think that he shouldn't get kares in that case. But what the Gemara is specifically asking on Ula is from the other case where it is known to have been stolen. So there the rabbi never stepped in and made it a valid carbon. So in that case, the Gemara wants to know why should he get kares if he slaughtered it outside if it's not a carbon under Torah law either. So the answer to that is that even though the rabbis didn't say that this is a valid carbon, they did step in and give the thief ownership of the animal in order for him to get the punishment of kares. So that much the rabbis were willing to give him ownership so that if he makes it a carbon and then slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he does get the full punishment. But they did not step in and change the rules so that if he brings it as a carbon, it becomes a valid carbon. So that's how you have to interpret the Gemara's question and answer on Ula, according to Rab Chaim. And therefore, it's now clear in the Gemara exactly what the Rambam said, that there is no distinction whether it's a known stolen animal or not. In all cases, if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he gets kares. So the Rambam's ruling that he's going to get kares in that case, even though it's a known stolen animal. So if he brought it as a carbon, it would be an invalid carbon, emerges straight from the Gemara the way Rab Chaim's interpreted it. So now having established this little odd tidbit from the Gemara that even a sacrifice which is not going to be valid because everyone knows it was stolen, if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he still gets kares. So now in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim adds some explanation to why this should be the case. And this is a very clever explanation. He points out that what is the determining moment when we decide whether people know this animal is stolen or not. In other words, let's say when it's stolen, nobody knows it's stolen. And then a week later, everybody finds out it's stolen. Or the other way. At first, everybody knew it was stolen and then people forgot a week later. So what is the key moment that defines whether this is considered an 
animal which is known to be stolen or not. So Rab Chaim says, presumably, it's the moment of Zerika when the blood is thrown in the Beis HaMikdash, which is the moment when the sacrifice is really done and that's when the atonement comes. So if the animal is known to be stolen at that moment, it's invalid. But if the animal is not known to be stolen at that moment, then it's valid. Even if subsequent to that, people find out, so long as the Zerika already happened before people knew it was stolen, so that's considered a valid sacrifice. Now, the Zerika only happens once the animal is brought to the Beis HaMikdash and slaughtered, and then the blood is thrown. So now, if we think through this according to Ula, we'll see that we have to formulate this halacha in a funny way. That once the Zerika happens, and it turns out that at that moment, people did not know that this was a stolen animal, so then it also turns out that retroactively, the rabbis had given the thief ownership of this animal in order to make it a valid carbon. That's the way to formulate this whole process according to Ula. That even though when he made it a carbon, it was unclear what was going to happen a few steps later when they did the Zerika, we didn't know if at that point it would be a known stolen animal or not. But even so, once he got to the point of the Zerika later on in the process, and it turns out that it wasn't known to have been stolen at that moment, so then going back a few steps, it also turns out that his making it into a carbon was valid. But all of this only applies to an animal which is brought to the Beis HaMikdash and slaughtered, and then they do Zerika. An animal which was slaughtered outside the Beis HaMikdash never gets started with this whole process because it's already invalidated as soon as it's slaughtered. They never do the Zerika with the blood. So there's no moment to determine whether that animal is known to be stolen or not. So that's why the whole factor of known stolen or unknown stolen falls apart in that case because it's irrelevant because there's no Zerika. So that's exactly why Ula holds that even though if that animal were brought to the Beis HaMikdash and the Zerika was done and it turned out that people knew it was stolen, it would be an invalid carbon. But since the process was cut off early and he slaughtered it outside the Beis HaMikdash, so there's no way to give this animal the status that it's known to be stolen. So in all cases, he's going to get kares because it falls out of the category of known stolen or unknown stolen, there's just a blanket rule that in all cases he's going to get kares if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash. So now putting this together, this is a beautiful reading of the Gemara's question. The Gemara wants to know, according to Ula, that the whole validation of the carbon happens at the moment of Zerika, when it turns out that this animal is not known to be stolen. So how can we say that he gets kares for slaughtering it outside the Beis HaMikdash when there was never a moment that transformed this carbon into a valid carbon. So on a Torah level, the animal is not a proper carbon because Yosh alone does not transfer ownership. So this animal that was killed earlier in the process before it got to the Zerika never had the moment when it was transformed into a valid carbon. So how can he get kares for slaughtering it outside the Beis HaMikdash? So the Gemara answers that even though the Zerika is a later moment in the process, but still the rabbis transferred ownership to the thief 
when he makes it a carbon so that he'll get punished with kares if he kills it outside the base Mikdash. Meaning even though it wouldn't become a valid carbon until the Zrika happens and it turns out that it's not known to be stolen, but that doesn't preclude giving kares because the rabbis transferred ownership with regards to kares earlier in the process as soon as he made it a carbon. So this is a very beautiful explanation of why there's a blanket kares, even if the animal is known to be stolen, so that even if an animal would be invalid as a carbon because it's known to be stolen, but still, if he slaughters it outside the Beis Mikdash, he would get kares. And it's based on this very sharp understanding of how the process works, that since the validation of the carbon only comes later at the Zrika, so in order to give him kares for slaughtering the animal outside the Beis Mikdash, it would have to be that the rabbis transferred ownership with regards to the punishment earlier in the process. And likewise, it's not going to matter anymore whether this is a known stolen animal or not, because that whole issue comes into play at the moment of Zrika. Since this process got cut off earlier, it's irrelevant, and in all cases, he's going to get kares. And that's exactly reflected in the Rambam's rulings, that in all cases, whether it's known to be stolen or not, if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he gets kares, versus being a valid carbon, which only can happen if it's not known to be stolen. So now bringing this all together in the fifth paragraph, Rab Chaim says a brilliant answer to the two questions he began with. And he explains that now we can answer why in some places the Rambam takes Ula's approach, that under Torah law, the thief does not own this animal, but rather the rabbis transferred ownership to the thief. Whereas elsewhere, he takes Rabbi Yehuda's approach that the thief owns the animal under Torah law because the owners gave up hope. So the answer now, says Rab Chaim, is that the Rambam believed that you can't divide the discussion in the Gemara so neatly between Rav Yehuda and Ula because there's a problem with Ula's approach. Ula says that the rabbis fully put it in the thief's ownership so that he would get punished with kares. So that means, according to Ula, at an early step in the process, the rabbis fully transferred ownership to the thief even though Yish does not transfer ownership, but the rabbis did step in and do that in order to give him the punishment of kares. So now what happens in a case where he didn't slaughter it outside the Beis HaMikdash? He brought it to the Beis HaMikdash and they slaughtered it and they did the Zerika and then it turned out that this is a known stolen animal. So according to Ula, why should that carbon be invalid? Before Rab Chaim's whole analysis, we had a simple answer to that because since the thief doesn't own it under Torah, law. He needs the rabbis to give him ownership of it. So they didn't do that in the case where it's a known stolen animal. But after Rab Chaim's analysis, that answer is no longer going to work because we could still ask that the rabbis already transferred ownership to him. So it doesn't matter anymore if this animal gets the status of noda, that it's known that it was stolen. Even a noda animal already belongs to the thief from earlier in the process when the rabbis gave him full ownership of it. So now we we need a new answer to the question, according to Ula, why is a Noda animal invalid as a carbon? And the answer to that is the same as Rabbi Yehuda's explanation, because we don't want to sully the Mizbeach's reputation. We don't want people to say that the Mizbeach takes stolen animals. So now, very brilliantly, Rabbi Chaim's shown how the Rambam could say that you need to use Rabbi 
Yehuda's explanation, even in Ula's approach. And that's going to answer the questions on the Rambam, because fundamentally he does agree with Ula. He holds that Yish alone does not transfer ownership, like he said in Hilchos Geneva. Therefore, under Torah law, the thief does not own the animal. So, so far he's totally consistent with Ula. And that's why he quotes the whole discussion of the Gemara from Rava, that we need to say the rabbis transferred ownership to the thief in order to punish him with kares. Again, according to the Rambam, the Yish is not going to accomplish that. The rabbis need to step in and do that. So again, so far the Rambam is totally consistent with the Gemara's approach in Ula, but it still makes sense why in our halacha that we began with in Hilchos Yisurei Mizbeach, the Rambam quotes Rabbi Yehuda's explanation why an animal which is noda is invalid for a karban because the rabbis want to protect the Mizbeach's reputation because now that we know that according to Ula, the rabbis transferred ownership to the thief in order to give him the punishment of kares. So we need to borrow Rav Yehuda's explanation to explain why a noda animal is invalid as a carbon. So this is a very brilliant explanation of the Rambam. Again, it's in line with the way Rab Chaim often explains the Rambam that he's adding something to the discussion of the Gemara. Even though the Gemara seemed to say that Ula has his explanation and Rav Yehuda has his explanation and they don't overlap, but at the end of the sugya, the Rambam had a lingering question, and he answered that by reapplying Rabbi Yehuda's explanation. So that's how Rab Chaim's making sense of these contradictions in the Rambam. Some places he follows Ula, in this halacha he follows Rabbi Yehuda, and the answer is that overall the Rambam follows the approach of Ula, but there was a lingering question for which he needed to apply the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda, and that's why our halacha reflects Rabbi Yehuda's explanation, even though for the Rambam it's within Ula's approach. So now in the sixth paragraph, Rabbi Chaim's going to question his whole approach, but this is a long question, so it takes him the whole paragraph to develop it. The Rambam in Hilchus Gzela, Perak Beis, Halacha Ches, writes, Gonav o gazal v'hikdish v'tavach achar shenisyashu habaylim. If somebody steals an animal, and then they're makdish it, they sanctify it, and then they slaughter it, and this happens after the owners had already given up hope, after Yish. So the Halacha is, Harehi b'rshus ha-gazlan misha bilvad. The thief, the gazlan, owns the animal from the moment when he sanctified it only. He does not own it before he sanctified it. Kedesh so that the sinner, this thief who sinned, shouldn't benefit by getting the shearings or the children that are born to the animal. So that's why we push off the moment of his ownership up until he sanctifies it, at which point it goes to the Beis HaMikdash. So he's never going to benefit from his stealing. So, Any children or shearings of the animal from the time he stole it until he was makdish it are all going to belong to the owners from whom it was stolen. So according to the Rambam, it's very important that the thief not benefit at all from the animal that he stole. So therefore, any benefit from the animal, like children or shearings, is going to belong to the original owners, even after Yish, so they gave up hope, but they still get the benefits of the animal until the thief is makdishit, at which point the animal becomes his. So the Raivit disagrees with this, and he says, This is dishonest. The Raivit says the halacha is that after Yish, everything belongs to the thief. So in this case, once the original owners gave up hope, they had Yush, so everything after that 
that all the benefit of the shearings and the children from that moment and on should belong to the thief. So the Ravid suggests that maybe the Rambam's case is different than an ordinary case where someone stole something because in this case he was makdish the animal. So that changes the case because in general the whole idea that the thief gets the benefit from Yush and An is a decree of the rabbis in order to enable him to be able to do teshuva, to repent, and to be able to return what he stole without having to return all the benefit that accrued over many months or however long it's been since he stole it. But in this case where the thief anyways was makdish the animal, so it's not going to be his benefit, so this is an unusual case, so we don't need to institute that decree that the thief gets the benefit. So according to the Ravid, this case is a little different than regular cases because the thief was makdish it, and that's why the thief doesn't own the benefit from the moment of Yush and An. But Rab Chaim suggests that there's a different way to answer the Rambam from the Ravid's question, and that is a bit of a technicality that the case of the Rambam is where the thief was makdishit before the owners had done Yush. So the Rambam would agree with the Ravid if the owners had already done Yush between that moment until the thief was makdishit, the benefit would belong to the thief. But in this case, the thief was makdishit before the moment of Yush, and that still works even though it's before Yush, because Rab Chaim says it's the equivalent of a case that the Rambam has in Hilchus Gneva Parakei Halacha Gimel, where a thief sold it before the owners did Yush, and the Rambam says that the sale takes effect after the Yush. So the same thing would be true of the Hektish, that once he's makdishit, when later on the owners do Yush, they give up hope. So at that moment, the hectish is going to take effect. So now this case has no time between the Yush and the hectish because the hectish came first. So as soon as the Yush happens, the animal immediately becomes sanctified. So that's why the Rambam holds that there's no benefit that goes to the thief because up until the moment of Yush, it all belongs to the owners, as the Rambam writes explicitly in Hilchus Gneva, Perak Aleph, and in Hilchus Gzela, Perak Beis. So this is established, that up until the moment of Yush, any benefit from the animal goes to the original owners, from whom it was stolen from. So the thief is not going to get any of that. And in this case, when the thief was makdishit before the Yush, so he's never going to get any of the benefit. But now, even though this case is talking about where the hectish was before, for the Yush, the hectish is still going to take effect based on the idea from the Gemara that we've been discussing, that the rabbis put it in the thief's ownership in order that he should be obligated if he shechts it outside the Beis HaMikdash and if he brings it to the Beis HaMikdash as a carbon and it's not known that it's stolen, it should be a valid carbon. So because of those factors, the rabbis established it as his as soon as he's makdish it, even though it's before a so this case of the Rambam where a thief was makdish the animal before Yush now reflects the overall approach that Rab Chaim's been developing in the Rambam that this is all based on Ukmuha Rabban and Bershusei the rabbis made it the thief's as soon as he's makdish it in order for him to be punished and in order for him to be able to bring the carbon in a case where it's not known to be stolen so based on that the Rambam is again ruling that in this case all of the benefit from that moment of hektish and on belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. It no longer belongs to the original owners. But Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam says this whole case 
only where Tavach, where he slaughtered the animal. So it sounds like if he didn't slaughter the animal, he just left it and brought it as a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, then it sounds like the Halacha would change and the Hektish would not take effect. So the benefit from the animal, the children and the shearings, would belong to the original owners up until the moment of Yish. So the Rambam seems to limit his whole application of Ukmuho Rabbanan Bereshusei, that the rabbis made the thief the owner where he's Makdishit, he seems to limit that whole whole principle only to a case of shchutechutz, where the thief then slaughtered the animal outside the Beis HaMikdash. But if the thief brought the animal as a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, then the Rambam applies that the rabbis never made it his animal. It never belongs to him. And it would only become his animal later on in the process when the Kohen sprinkles the blood. So at that point, the rabbis would say that it's his and it's a valid carbon. But the Rambam does not seem to apply this whole idea that that the rabbis made it the thief's animal in a broad sense, even when he didn't slaughter it outside. And that, of course, is integral to Rab Chaim's whole approach, that the Rambam applies Ukmuho Rabbanan Bereshusei, that the rabbis gave ownership to the thief in all cases, not only in order to punish him for Shchutechutz, where he slaughtered it outside the Beis HaMikdash, but even where he brought it as a valid carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, it still belonged to him. That's why the Rambam needed to apply Rabbi Yehuda's explanation that if it's known to be a stolen animal, then the rabbis were concerned with the Mizbeach's reputation. That's not talking about a case where he slaughtered it outside the Beis HaMikdash. That's talking about where he brought it to the Beis HaMikdash. And still the Rambam holds that the principle that the rabbis made it his earlier in the process, as soon as he's Makdish, it would apply. So this Rambam now, the way Rab Chaim explained it, contradicts Rab Chaim's approach because here the Rambam is limiting the whole concept that the rabbis gave the thief ownership of the animal as soon as he's makdish it only to a case where he then slaughtered it outside the Beis HaMikdash. And the point of that decree is only in order to be able to punish him. But it's not in order to make it a valid carbon where it's not known to be stolen. So now Rab Chaim has a Rambam which seems to contradict his whole approach. And in fact, Rab Chaim points out that this whole issue is a debate between Rashi and Tosos in Gi'in. Rashi explains that the concept of Ukmuhu Rabbanan, that the rabbis made it the thieves, is a knas. The rabbis wanted to be able to punish him if he shechts this animal outside the Beis HaMikdash. So the whole purpose of this decree is only in order to be able to punish the thief for Shchutechutz, because if it wasn't a real sanctified animal, then they wouldn't be able to punish him. So the rabbis instituted that it's his animal, therefore it's now really sanctified, and if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, he gets the full punishment. That's the way Rashi understands this concept. So according to Rashi, this whole idea only applies when the thief himself shechted the animal outside the Beis HaMikdash. But if he brought it as a valid carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, and it was done properly... So then according to Ula, who holds that Yish doesn't transfer ownership, Mida Oraisa, so somehow the rabbis had to transfer ownership of this animal to the thief, but that's a separate decree from when they made it his in order to punish him for Shchutechutz. So there have to be two different decrees going on in the Gemara. One says that the thief owns the animal in order to be punished for Shchutechutz, and a separate decree says that the thief owns the animal in order for it to be a 
valid carbon if it's not known that it's stolen. That's the way Rashi has to understand it. Now, Tosos disagrees with Rashi because he's bothered by the question that how could it be that the only one that gets punished is if the thief himself slaughtered the animal outside the Beisam Mikdash. But if someone else slaughters it, then they're not going to get punished because we wouldn't apply the Ukmuhu Rabbanan. It would never have been the thief's to begin with in order to make it hectic. So Tosos is bothered by this whole issue that how could Rashi limit the whole Gemara only to a case where the thief himself slaughtered it, but if someone else slaughters it, then they won't get punished. So Tosos explains the Gemara differently that the rabbis made it the thieves, not in order to punish him, but in order that the Kohanim shouldn't be upset after they sacrifice the animal, that they don't get to eat it. So because of that one decree, the rabbi said that it's the thieves as soon as he sanctifies it. And if he or anyone else slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, they're going to get punished. But if he brings it to the Beis HaMikdash as a valid carbon, so then it's going to work precisely because it does belong to him. And as long as it's not known to be stolen, so then it's going to be a valid carbon because he owns it. So according to Tosvos, there are not two decrees. There is one decree which runs through the whole sugya, and that is that the rabbis made it the thieves in order to protect the kohanim from not getting their meat, and that's going to play out in both cases. If he slaughters it outside the Beis Hamikdash, then he or anyone will get punished because it was a valid sanctified animal, and if he brings it to the Beis Hamikdash, then it will be a valid carbon. So according to Tosfos, it's not because the thief slaughtered it outside the Beis Hamikdash that it becomes his, but in general, the rabbis made it his so that all of these halachas will play out properly. Now, says Rab Chaim that the Rambam in Hilchus Gneva, the way he interpreted him, who limits the whole application of this halacha only to a case where the thief slaughtered the animal outside the Beis HaMikdash, so he's clearly following Rashi's approach to the Gemara. He's not bothered by Tosus's question that this principle should apply more broadly. He agrees with Rashi that the only case where we apply this whole concept is where the thief himself slaughtered it. So if we play that out, that's going to mean that a According to the Rambam, there are two separate decrees. One is that if the thief slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, it belongs to him from the moment he made it hectish. And the second one is that if he brings it to the Beis HaMikdash, then the rabbi said it's his in order for it to be a valid carbon. But those are two separate decrees. So that undercuts Rab Chaim's whole explanation of the Rambam so far because he's saying in the Rambam that once the rabbis say it belongs to the thief, then it totally belongs to him. And that's why the Rambam was bothered, even in Ula, that even if the animal is known to be stolen, why isn't it a valid carbon? But now, according to his explanation of the Rambam in Hilchus Gneva, that the Rambam holds like Rashi, so it turns out that that's not a good question because according to Ula, the animal never belongs to the thief because Yush alone does not transfer ownership. So the thief doesn't own the animal Mida Oraisa. Now the rabbis did transfer ownership of the animal but that's only in a case where it was not known to be stolen so they transferred the ownership in order to protect the Kohanim. But where it's known to be stolen, the rabbis never gave him ownership to begin with so again we're back to the original question why does the Rambam quote Rav Yehuda's explanation because the rabbis wanted to protect the Mizbe 
Mizbeach's reputation when in fact this animal never belongs to the thief to begin with. So it's a stolen animal which is inherently invalid as a carbon simply because it's stolen. So that's Rab Chaim's question in this paragraph which brings us back to the original question that he began with. So Rab Chaim says that in fact his approach could still work in the Rambam even though the Rambam reads the Gemara like Rashi but conceptually he could still agree with Tosfos that it's all the same decree. Meaning that the rabbis transferred ownership of the animal to the thief and that affects two different halachas that if he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash he gets punished and if he brings it as a carbon then it's a valid carbon. So that's all the same decree. Unlike Rab Chaim's original suggestion in Rashi that it's two different decrees depending on what happens you could say for the Rambam that it's all one decree. So both of those halachas follow from the same transfer of ownership that the rabbis gave the animal to the thief. Now, in the one case where it ends up not being the thief's, which is where he brings it as a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, but at the moment of the sprinkling, it's known to be a stolen animal. So in that case, the rabbis actually took away the ownership from the thief. And again, that's based on how the Rambam explained it because they're concerned for the reputation of the Mizbeach. So this fits exactly with Rab Chaim's whole approach in the Rambam, that it actually is fully the thief's, even according to Ula. So that's why the Rambam needs to invoke Rabbi Yehuda's concern in the Gemara for the reputation of the Mizbeach in order to explain why in the case where he brought the animal as a carbon but it was known to be stolen it's not going to work because it fully belongs to the thief. So this could all work even within the way Rashi and the Rambam read the Gemara that the rabbis only gave the animal to the thief in order to be able to punish him but the way to formulate this is that they fully gave it to him and we have to see See how it plays out. If he slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, then it's going to turn out to have been fully his and he gets punished. If he brings it as a carbon and it's not known that it was stolen, then again, it's going to turn out to have been fully his and it's going to be a valid carbon. But if he brings it as a carbon and it's known to be stolen, so then at that point, they take away the ownership from him because of the Mizbeach's reputation and that's why it's an invalid carbon. So this is going to still explain how the Rambam formulates these halachas, even though he reads the Gemara like Rashi, because conceptually he still holds that once the rabbis gave it to the thief, it fully belongs to him, assuming that the scenario doesn't play out in the one way that would cause the rabbis to cancel their transfer of ownership, which is if he brings it as a carbon, but everyone knows that it's stolen. So then in order to protect the reputation of the Mizbeach, the rabbis step in again and they cancel their original transfer of ownership. So now it doesn't belong to the thief and it's an invalid carbon. So basically from the time the thief is makdishit, we have to wait and see what's going to happen. There are three possible outcomes. Two of them are going to remain the thief's ownership. One of them is going to cancel the original transfer of ownership and it's not going to belong to the thief. So that's exactly why the Rambam rules in Hilchus Geneva that if the thief slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash, so now we can finally clarify that 
this is going to be a case where the animal is going to belong to him because there is no more possibility of the rabbi stepping in and canceling the ownership because that would only happen if he brought it to the Beis HaMikdash and it was known to be stolen. But this animal was already killed outside the Beis HaMikdash. So it's going to always belong to him. And that's why the owners lose the benefits of the animal from the moment that he was makdish it, even though it's before Yish. But where he hasn't killed the animal yet and he's going to bring it as a carbon to the Beis HaMikdash, so then it's still up in the air whether this animal is going to end up belonging to him depending on when they bring it as a carbon, whether it's known to be stolen or not. So this all explains all the different details in the Rambams very brilliantly and it all fits together very nicely. Now, Rab Chaim ends with a proof to the way he just formulated the Rambam that the ownership, whether the person slaughters it outside the Beis HaMikdash or brings it as a carbon, comes from the same decree. And he proves it because Tosos has a question, which is how could the rabbis uproot something which is a Torah law? The general rule is that the rabbis can institute decrees in order to protect or build on the Torah law. But they can't tell anyone to do something which is going to violate a law of the Torah. So Tosos asks, in this case, according to Rav Yehuda, that the rabbis were concerned for the reputation of the Mizbeach, it turns out that they're actually causing people to violate Torah law. Because this person brought a carbon which was valid, because again, according to Rav Yehuda, the Yish alone transfers ownership on a Torah level. So this was a fully valid animal that the thief owned and he brought it as a carbon. And now the rabbis are telling him that it's invalid as a carbon and he should bring another carbon. So that second carbon is an unnecessary animal which is being brought into the Beis HaMikdash and offered up as a carbon when it was totally unnecessary under Torah law. This person already fulfilled their obligation of the carbon. So how can the rabbis institute a decree which causes unnecessary animals to be brought in as carbono? So Tosvos answers that this case is talking about before the Zrika was done. As we already said earlier, everything's going to depend on the moment of the Zrika. If the animal is known to be stolen at that point, then you can't do the Zrika and it's an invalid carbon. But if they already did the Zrika when the animal was not known to be stolen, and then later on people found out, so it's still a valid carbon. We're not going to retroactively change the status of this carbon. So Tosos uses this idea to answer the question because since the rabbis are not retroactively taking anything back, but rather what they're doing is saying that if the animal is known to be stolen, then you can't go ahead with the Zrika. So that means they're not actually changing any Torah law because when they tell the Kohen, don't do the Zrika because this is known to be a stolen animal. So it turns out that this first animal was never a valid carbon because it didn't have Zrika. Anything that's missing the zrika, the sprinkling of the blood, is missing the whole essence of being a carbon. So that first animal accomplished nothing. So now when he brings a second animal, it's because he really has to. We're not adding an unnecessary animal. He's bringing a carbon because the first one totally flamed out because they never did the zrika. So the rabbis are not actually changing anything here. All they're doing is stopping the Kohen from doing the zrika, which means that at the end of the day, even on a Torah level, the first carbon was a nothing. So that's Tosus' approach to understand how this decree of the rabbis is going to work. 
And Rab Chaim points out that this is actually parallel to what the Gemara in Yevamos Tzadi says. It has the case of blood that became Tameh, it's impure. So the Kohen was not supposed to do Zrika with that blood, but still he went ahead and did it. So the Gemara says that if it was an accident, so then it's a valid carbon, but if it was intentional, so then it's invalid. So the Gemara asks, but on a Torah level, it works. So how could the rabbis say that this carbon doesn't work if according to the Torah, it does work? So the Gemara answers, no, in fact, it is a valid carbon and it does atone for the owners, but the Kohanim can't eat the meat. So that's all the rabbis are instituting. They're not uprooting this carbon and saying that it was an invalid valid carbon, it was a valid carbon, and it works for the owners, but the Kohanim can't eat the meat. So that's the extent of what the rabbis are saying in this case. So you see the same thing, that the rabbis don't uproot a valid carbon and make it invalid. All they'll do is say that the Kohanim shouldn't eat the meat, but they have to leave the carbon as valid. So in this case, in Gittin, where they did say that the whole carbon is invalid, it must be that it's talking about where there was no sprinkling at all, because if there was a sprinkling, then the rabbis would have to accept that that was a valid carbon and it atoned for the owners. But in this case, they stopped the whole sprinkling and that's why the whole carbon is invalid. So basically, Tosos's reading of this Gemara seems to emerge straight from the Gemara in Yevamos that the rabbis cannot say about a carbon which is valid under Torah law, that it's actually invalid. But Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam seems to disagree with Tosos's approach because the Rambam just says a blanket rule that in the case where someone brought an animal to the Beis HaMikdash and it was known to be stolen, so that is an invalid carbon. He doesn't differentiate between whether they did the zrika or not. The Rambam does not limit this whole halacha to a case where they didn't do the zrika, but if they went ahead and did the zrika, then the carbon would be valid, even though they shouldn't have done the zrika. He doesn't say any of that, which is what Tosos would hold. So the Rambam seems to hold as a blanket rule that even if the Kohen did the zrika, it would still be invalid. But the problem is that if under Torah law, the thief owns this animal, so it was a valid carbon. How can the rabbis make it invalid because they're concerned for the reputation of the Mizbeach when we said in the Gemara Yevamos that the rabbis cannot invalidate a carbon which is valid under Torah law? So says Rab Chaim, the way he formulated the Rambam's approach, this is going to explain how the Rambam answered this question differently from Tosfos. And that's why the Rambam's conclusion of these halachas is different from Tosfos's. Because since the Rambam holds according to Ula, that really the thief does not own the animal under Torah law. Yush alone does not transfer ownership. So it was the rabbis who gave the thief the ownership of the animal. But in the case where the animal is known to have been stolen, the rabbis canceled their transfer of ownership. So now it doesn't belong to him, not only rabbinically, but even under Torah law, it doesn't belong to him. Because it never belonged to him under Torah law, if not for the fact that the rabbis had transferred ownership. So in this case, once the rabbis take away that ownership, he now doesn't own it, even according to Torah law. And when he brings it as a carbon, it's invalid 
even according to Torah law, because it's a stolen animal. So that's why the Rambam holds it doesn't matter whether they do the Zrika or not, because the idea here is not that the rabbis are holding up the Zrika, as Tosos explains it. The idea is that the rabbis are taking away his ownership, which immediately invalidates the animal, even under Torah law, because now it's a stolen animal, which is inherently invalid as a carbon. So that's why the Rambam makes no differentiation between whether the Zrika happened or not, because for him, the key point is not that the Zrika didn't happen the way Tosfo says it, but the key point is that this thief doesn't own the animal at all, so it's a totally invalid carbon. So that's Rab Chaim's piece, that's his explanation to answer the Rambam, why he applies the explanation of Rab Yehuda, that the rabbis are concerned for the Mizbeach's reputation, even though the Rambam seems to hold like Ula, that Yish alone does not transfer the ownership. And Rab Chaim's solution is based on a very strong reading of this concept in the Gemara, that the rabbis transfer the ownership in order to be able to punish the thief for Shchute Chutz. So based on that, Rab Chaim argues that the Rambam felt that transfer of ownership was so strong that even according to Ula now, there needs to be some explanation why if the animal is known to be stolen, it's still an invalid carbon.